You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome back to The Worship Review. On this podcast, we look at Christian music and dissect it in a kind way. (laughs) 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 I'm uh, your host, Tyler, joined by your host, Colin. Yeah, I'm the host. We have no parasites on this show, just hosts. Today we're taking a look at Joyful Joyful by Passion, a song which is based on the traditional hymn, Hymn of Joy. Yeah. Colin, let's jump right in here. What is Joyful Joyful about? Joyful Joyful is about a few different things. It starts off with God being the joyful king. So there's a joyful king, it's God, and he does some things. He spins... He spins love. He spins and sings love over all his children. Talk about that, I'm sure. He is like the son, uh, this joyful king who is God, and his children begin to respond in the song. They unfold with praise like flowers before him, and he gives them gladness in response. The perspective of the song, though, does gradually shift to the singers themselves. So we learn about the joyful king, and then we start learning about what the singers are doing. They're surrounding him. They are accompanied by the whole earth. And there's this very kind of Psalm uh, 98 thing that seems to be going on there with heaven, the stars, the angels, uh, fields, meadows, and every other possible kind of terrain, uh, much like joy to the world. Uh, they're, they're all sort of echoing and singing the praises to the joyful king. And uh, the song that they're singing, we're told, is the, the triumph song of life. And then later, we get another shift now to a kind of general call for every mortal thing to uh, join in this mighty chorus that's, that's happening. So we have the joyful king. We then have these people that are kind of infected by the joyful king and praise him. And then we have just the whole creation, all of creation singing. And like I said, the joyful king is God. He is called the God of glory. He is called the Lord of love. So we we know that this is God. And uh, it, it is unclear In my view, maybe you can help me if there's something I'm missing, I don't see anything more than that to indicate that this is necessarily Christ, God the Father. I don't see the Trinity necessarily in here. There's just kind of a joyful king, and he's God. He's the Lord of love. Uh, There is, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, when we get to the stanza, there is something called father love and brother love, and I don't know if those are people or things. So based on the 
punctuation, I'm guessing, that they're things. But, like, I didn't know if, like, Father Love was a title, like, Father Love and Brother Love was a title, or if it's saying a love, <laughs> a Father Love, or a Brother Love. So, I mean, we'll, we, I suppose we can talk about that. Anything else that you noticed in there, Tyler? I would say this God is said in a later verse to be our Father, or mm-hmm. God the Father, depending on the version, and Christ our brother. So that gives us some greater context. In, in this version of the song, though, or in the original? I think it's in this version. What I have is uh, mortals join... I, I just have father love is reigning o'er us. Brother mm-hmm. love binds man to man. I agree with you that in the original, I, we see that. But I, in this version, I didn't see an indication of father or brother as distinct persons. I think you're right. The only thing that I saw that could potentially speak to a trinity is a change that they make, joyful music, in the third verse, joyful music lifts us sunward. Yes. Which they have changed to S-O-N word instead of S-U-N word, as it was in the original. But because it's a homophone, it doesn't make any difference in terms of how it's produced. Yeah. by the singers and by yeah. the chorus. Sure. But it is significant. I think they even capitalize the S of son. Yeah, they do. Yeah. So. so they're trying to make a, they're trying to sneak a reference into Christ there that wasn't necessarily there in the original. Although there were more explicit references to Christ in the original, which they didn't keep. So kind huh. of like, this is kind of like the government giving you back some of your money. Anyway, but we don't have Thanks. to talk about Thanks, I can't Texas. wait to pay this next, <laughs> right. next year. Okay, Colin, can you help me understand this refrain? We sing in jubilation, adoration to a joyful king. You are spinning, and you are singing zealous love over all your children. We sing in jubilation, adoration to a joyful king. You are spinning. And you are singing zealous love over all your children. Maybe we can tackle this one at a time. We sing in jubilation. Yeah. So there's a crowd of people. Yep. There's a crowd of people that are gathered and they're exuberant. They're enthusiastic. And then their enthusiasm seems to be matched by the joyful king who's, who's singing love and spinning love. Now, I want to start actually just with the singing love part because uh, it's easier to talk about. So, God singing joy over us, and we've talked about this before, is a biblical image. We have, for example, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, which says, "...the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save." He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. So there there are some elements in here which kind of match the song and some that don't quite match the song in that the singing in the in the verse is loud. But the product of the rejoicing and singing is for the uh, for the people being sung over to be quiet which is an interesting idea. It kind of resonates with, we uh, still know that I am God. So there are moments when God's work 
it's shown in the Psalms to be so total and so complete that it just brings about stillness or it brings about silence. And so here we have God singing, bringing up about silence. But I, in this context, it might be helpful to have a little bit more silence and reflection. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. The spinning part is a little bit weird. Uh, I wasn't sure what to make of that. My initial guess, my best guess, I should say, after some thought, is that it refers to some kind of dancing, maybe, that God is dancing. But dancing love, I mean, spinning love could also be like um, weaving love or creating love. It could mean spinning in that way. So I just wasn't sure. It was like soaring, soaring, spinning, spinning, you know, just kind of (laughs) had this had this connotation to it for me. To be fair, there are two ways to interpret that line. You are spinning and you are singing zealous love over all your children. And is a coordinating conjunction, right? So it can separate two wholly independent clauses. So mm-hmm. it could be, you are spinning, break, and you are singing love. Um, it doesn't, It. I don't know if that helps any interpretation of it. Yeah. Because... If you interpret spinning as maybe manufacturing or weaving a kind of love for humanity, that almost makes more sense mm-hmm. than... Just than, twirling? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I have no reason to believe that God isn't spinning, but I also have no reason to believe that he is spinning. It's, it's almost a... It's just a red herring of, of sorts. It's, 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 it's kind of baffling to me where this came from, yeah. what description of God would lead someone to write this. And, we, and, and when we're me, describing God, we need to be yeah. careful. We need to avoid making our own insertions yeah. into how he's described himself. He doesn't take that lightly. It makes me wonder if we're missing something, because it seems such a strange thing to put in there without some kind of illusion that we must just not be like we're just ignorant, and so I, 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 like, we must just be ignorant of something. There must be some reference that this is connecting to, and we just don't know it and haven't been able to find it. That's the only. I mean, otherwise, I just it just doesn't make sense. Okay, so that's this. That's this refrain. Now we get into the text of verses, yeah. which come from an earlier work. Joyful, joyful, we God of glory, Lord of light, hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love, hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Yeah, so we have a little metaphor here of... Hearts being like flowers, unfolding or opening up to receive what the sun brings. And so if, you, if that's what the metaphor is meant to do, it makes sense because we are kind of like plants relative to God in that we really don't do much. And God gives and we kind of merely receive and our opening up to receive is itself a kind of glory back to God. So, if that's what this metaphor is doing, I think that actually works pretty well. Tyler, what do you think? Yeah, I thought this was 
there were potentially two ways to interpret this. The one that you have said is what I call a particular way. It's it's referring to Christians. It's a particular mm-hmm. group of people who receive blessing from God, unfold like flowers, just like unfold just like flowers opening to the sun's radiation, mm-hmm. and by their opening, pour back yeah. a kind of praise or blessing to God. The other way, which I think it might be interpreted is a general kind uh, of description for mm-hmm. all men, all mankind. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that without reason. There are verses later in the song that seem to imply okay. a kind of brotherhood of man. I'll be curious when we get to that. Yeah. And in this sense, I wondered if it was meant to be God, the searcher of hearts, who sees all of the inmost thoughts. Okay. And that was kind of the way that flowers unfurl, you see what's within them and God is seeing within us. But I don't have any compelling reason to argue for one or the other. The line just kind of left me a little bit perplexed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, You have to provide, this song doesn't provide you the key to the metaphor. You you kind of have to guess. You can, there aren't infinite options and I think both options could work but the song doesn't entirely guide you. I will say this description of God as a God of glory is sound. It's excellent. It's biblical. Also Lord of love. I think it's taking a little bit of poetic license and having uh, adding alliteration to it, but we mm-hmm. do know from 1 John that God is love. Yeah. So I think this is a biblical praise to offer yeah, to God. Absolutely. And uh, actually quite necessary because there are very few indicators of who the joyful king is so those those little words do some work and it's nice to have them at the beginning so we don't have to make a we don't we're not left in suspense as to who we're worshiping kind of important this is doing along with the refrain before it something that you might call like tour guide worship Hmm. where you arrive at a place and then the tour guide says what you're doing and why you're there and what's going on. So you arrive and the tour guide's like, this is the castle and this is where we are. And we're now looking at the castle on the right hand side. It's, it's doing this kind of self referential. Mm. We praise, look at us. We're offering praise to a joyful King. It's also pointing to God. Um, but many, I, I noticed many times in this song when it felt the need to remind us what we were doing and why we were doing it. That's not necessarily a problem, but it is an observation. Yeah, it seems like the most effective way to do this is to not necessarily just remind us to be reflective, but to provide more objective truth, which elicits a natural response of praise, right? If you're you're having to keep reminding yourself that you're praising, then it's sort of like, well, what's really stimulating you to praise, you know? Yeah. So probably worth keeping in mind. Colin, let's talk about the second verse. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness. Drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness, fill us with the light of day. What's nice in this line is we get a reference to the problem of sin. So we're told that the metaphor of clouds 
is a reference to sin. So here we don't have to guess. Unlike the previous metaphor about hearts uh, opening like flowers, we know that the clouds are sin, but also sadness, and that there's also darkness that is doubt. So there's doubt, sin, and sadness. And we don't know much more about what sin is doing or or what what it's nece- what, what's causing it to be a problem but i would i'm satisfied with at least a mention of sin that it's like the cloud and if we're thinking about a metaphor if the the joyful king is kind of like light that brings about praise well sin blocks it i guess is maybe the way that this works is that it's creating a barrier in some way between god and the people that are meaning to praise him but god instead gives immortal gladness his gladness that he gives is presumably not phased by clouds of sin and sadness and so we're filled with the light of day no matter what i mean it's very very metaphorical language so you kind of have to kind of have to make some guesses but you know that's what it seems like to me. What do you think? I can tell it was written by an English professor. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's just very, very ornate language. Obviously, as as Christians, we know that sin persists as a problem mm-hmm. in the world, even after Christ has fully atoned mm-hmm. for it. But we don't see in this song a clear description of the clouds of sin and sadness already having been promised to be cleared away, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. It seems like it's continually pointing to the present or the future mm-hmm. for a desired a desired positive outcome. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if this is undergirded by a theology of post-millennialism. Okay. Um, Can you explain to our listeners, in case they don't, uh, haven't done the kind of eschatological sure. uh, work, what postmillennialism is. So postmillennialism holds that the church, after being endowed with the power of the Holy Spirit and the great commission of Christ, uh, now has the duty and obligation to spread the gospel throughout the earth, mm-hmm. which all I think all Orthodox Christians would believe. Mm-hmm. But Due to some differing interpretations of Revelation, uh, different Christian sects will have different ideas of what the visible church is supposed to look like now. And in post-millennialism, we long for Christ to come, and we seek to bring his kingdom about on earth, and we believe that his coming to reign will be brought about right. by our improving the world yeah. around us, our um, Christianizing peoples and improving social structures and relationships and things like that. And as I said, this becomes, this, this, I, I don't know, I, I just, when I started reading this song, a little bit, a little tiny alarm bell of post-millennialism started ringing in my head. And as I got more and more through it, it seemed like it was just... Um, I didn't catch that, actually, but I do kind of see it now. Um, once you point it out, you can't kind of unsee it. And the guy who wrote this was friends with Woodrow Wilson. Oh, okay. <laughs> I tried not to say something? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> 
Make the world safe? Come on. Make the world safe for God to return. Yeah. You can argue from Scripture a post-millennialist view. I happen to not be a post-millennialist, and I think millennialist, and I think neither are you. But yes, this view can be taken to some troubling places. And so can like a pre-millennial view too. Like, oh, Jesus is going to come at some point. We don't have to worry about it. We're just going to be raptured. Right? Throw our hands up in the air. Yeah, so can the amillennial view as well. So there, all the eschatologies have got issues. But the post-millennial issue, I think, well, yeah, your reference to Woodrow Wilson was an interesting one. I suppose we'll leave it at that. Colin, okay. what is the light of day in this in this verse? I really is it immortal gladness well maybe uh <laughs> because if it is i'll make another argument and that is this song offers praise to god and it describes things praising god um but it seems like joy is the thing desired by mm. the author of this song mm. so in other words it could be Praising God, but really, there's a little shift that's happened where maybe the desire is more for God's gift than God himself. God's gift of joy. <clears throat> maybe. maybe. It's just a thesis. It, it's just an idea. Same thing as the, the post-millennial idea. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why, but... There are these subtle hints in this song that point to it for me. Well, let's keep that in the back of our head and yes. ask our listeners to do the same. And then uh, as we kind of keep moving through this, yep. yeah. Great. Um, oh, can I say one more thing about of this course. line? Which line? Driving the dark of doubt away. Mm-hmm. Do we drive doubt away by <laughs> sunshine and happiness and not thinking negative thoughts or do we answer specific questions that people have that are sincere objections to the gospel with truth with scripture with reason and thereby drive doubt away am i setting up a false dichotomy here maybe is that what's meant by drive the dark of doubt away maybe but it it seems to me that the immortal gladness is what's pushing the doubt away. And I, I think it's it it would be better if we were to take doubts seriously and answer them seriously. You may have something there. It's hard because there's so much metaphorical language here. And there's also it's just not exactly clear which pieces of the metaphor are meant to attach to other pieces of the metaphor, which I guess gets back to your point about whether immortal gladness is the light of day. It's kind of unclear. It And maybe there is some purpose, and maybe there is a design behind these bits of metaphor that's just not apparent to us. It could also be that he's just trying to yeah use these abundant uh flowery <laughs> phrases and they just maybe we're overanalyzing it too who knows that is entirely possible we we may have occasionally overanalyzed some things on this podcast potentially there are three ways to interpret what you just said 
<laughs> no, four. So the next verse is, All thy works with joy surround thee. Earth and heaven reflect thy rays. Stars and angels sing around thee. Center of unbroken praise. Colin, help me out. What's going on here? So there is a lot of connection between this and my view and if not Psalm 98, at least maybe even joy to the world is in mind. I'm not, again, can't know, but this is clearly a reference to all of creation praising God, the earth, the heavens, the rays of the stars, or excuse me, the the stars, uh, but also angels, so the angels in heaven, and uh, God, the joy, the joyful King, is presumably the center of this praise that's always happening. So, now yeah. I wondered if this was meant to remind us of Isaiah six when he gets a glimpse of oh, the, the holy the, God in the temple, and there are seraphim mm-hmm. about him, and you know, two wings are covering their eyes to their feet and they're flying mm-hmm. with the other two and his robe fills the whole room and Isaiah trembles because he's a man of unclean lips and he's seen the holy God. Mm-hmm. I wondered if this was something that was being hinted at here with God being surrounded by this unbroken praise of holy, holy, holy. Yeah, maybe a kind of throne room scene in a way. Um, although there's the thing, the 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 references to the earth sort of continue in the second half of the stanza. So we have field and forest, vale and mountain, flowery meadow, flashing sea, chanting bird, mm-hmm. flowing fountain, fant- excuse me, flowing fountain, call us to rejoice in thee. So it does keep drawing us back to the earth. So there is a reference to heaven and, and you could, I think it's perfectly reasonable to infer what you have. Although, and maybe this gets back to your post-millennial thing. There's a lot of focus here on the earth, quite a bit. There are also in the Ode to Joy references to the earth, the things in it, the worm crawling, um, all sorts of other things that are found in our world. So mm-hmm. this this just reminds me a lot of that, and we would probably need to spend a whole episode talking about that if we wanted to make that argument. But. Yeah, probably. We don't want to do that. So, no, not, not right now. You've already touched on the next verse, so I'll go ahead and uh, read it. Field yeah. and forest, vale and mountain, flowery meadow, flashing sea, chanting bird and flowing fountain, call us to rejoice in thee. This is a really nice verse, in my view, because what's happening is something like what had happened earlier with the hearts unfolding and opening to the sun, at least my interpretation of that. And that is that all of creation, all of the earth, is praising God at the same time in its praise of God is calling further praise. Yes. So you have a beautiful image of what 
God's glory does. It it magnifies. It it creates a kind of feedback loop. And so it helps us understand why God's glory is so powerful because it doesn't just get consumed, it multiplies into this abundance that probably we can't even imagine. It helps give us a sense of what heaven will be is just everything is praising. And then, of course, that praise will just call forth more praise because the very fact that everything is praising is itself praiseworthy. Mm-hmm. So you can just see it just kind of multiplying and multiplying. And, and so this verse, I think, gets at that idea. Yeah, and I think this is also something implied by the psalmist when he says the heavens declare the glory of God. It's yeah. that the whole created earth and heavens proclaim to us the glory of God, and, and we are j- invited to join in. Also, in opening Romans, Paul states that since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, referring to nature there, so that people are without excuse. So, the creation does point us to God's glory. Even, even unbelievers get an idea of the glory of God from viewing nature so that they're without excuse when they reject Mm -hmm. him. Yeah. The next verse, mortals join the mighty chorus, which the morning stars began. Father love is reigning over us. Brother love binds man to man. Okay, this was something that confused me, and I maybe you as a linguist can help me with this, but I didn't know what father love and brother love were. Are these titles for God and title or titles for God the Father and for Christ? Or is it like a hyphenated compound word, like father love, like the love of a father? is reigning over us, and the love of brothers binds man to man. I think it's the latter. That's what I think mm-hmm. it probably is. Um, you know, but there is then in the in the next verse, the sunward line, which we'll get to, I guess, in a second. So, um, you know, it's it's just kind of a weird, kind of a weird phrasing, and especially it's especially weird when you look at the original which the original uh, said, uh, loving father, Christ our brother, let your light upon us shine. Teach us how to love each other. Lift us to the joy divine. Was that verse before this one? Or no, after this that, one? Was the, that verse was originally after. That was one of the last verses. Okay. So there is a little switcheroo in the order there. Okay. But I would just say from the uh, from the... Rhythm of the song, da 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 da. Father love is reigning over us. When we make titles in English, the title is often quieter, softer, has less stress than the name. So if we were to say Father love, you'll notice love has a higher pitch, it has greater Mm -hmm. amplitude than Father does. And in compounds, we tend to 
give that same stress and um, amplitude to the first element of the compound. So I think this song, just from its rhythm, would point us to father love is reigning or us, brother love binds man to man, which points to a compound okay. to me. And I think a compound makes more sense because a fa- father hyphen love would be what's traditionally understood as agape, like mm-hmm. a, an unconditional unchanging love of yeah. god the father mm-hmm. and then brother love could then be philia which mm-hmm. th- this guy's an academic he knows what he's doing and he knows he's being clever i think right so i think he's he's pointing to these broader theological terms without using them um and I, certainly we as christians are bound to one another by brotherly love um i don't know what the rest of humanity is bound together by. Yeah. I don't see, uh, frankly, if I look at the world, right, I don't see a bunch of people that no. are bound together by brother love. No. Uh, I wish I did, but we would need everyone to convert in yeah. order to make that happen, sincerely. Yeah. Um, so, it's, yeah. So, it's this probably gets back thing. to your kind of post-millennial thoughts, maybe. Yeah, so th- this was, this was the, the line that, really hit it home for me because I'm not a skeptic toward brother love or, or seeing people, even very different people who don't agree on things. Yeah. I have to think to that you've friends. seen this in your own life. I mean, I have I'm sure you have too. brother love. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the kind of you know, healthy, intimate friendship that you can have with a Christian brother is something to be desired by everyone. Yeah. But I don't know how possible, how, feasible it is to declare it as brother love binding man to man in a general sense. And this gets mm-hmm. back to what I was saying about there being a general implication, a general interpretation of these assertions and a particular one. Because if you're asserting particularly that Christians can live together in a kind of brother love, I would affirm it. Definitely. If you're saying generally humans can live together in a kind of brother love, I would say there needs to be some kind of... Um, Something has to mediate that for them yeah. that is agreed upon, yeah. or it's not going to happen. It's probably worth reflecting on Scripture. So, we see the kind of brother love of the church in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So here there's this impression, there are many things going on here, but one of the things that's going on here is that God is our peace, and he breaks down walls of hostility between himself and us but also between Christians and other Christians. So you have that. And I can't help but then also think about Christ's words about how he will divide brother from brother and father from son and mother from son and that sort of thing. So, And that's, of course, referring to the fact that Christians and non-Christians will have some division between themselves. I mean, the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, you know, we be, we're persecuted by those who are outside the faith. So 
I think just scripture would support your point in many respects. Okay. Then let's talk about the final verse. Ever singing, march we onward, victors in the midst of strife, joyful. Ever singing, march we onward, victors in the midst of strife. Joyful music lifts us sunward in the triumph song of life. Yeah. So the triumph song of, of life is presumably either what has been sung or it is kind of a way to say that maybe life is a triumph song because we're singing joyfully. Or maybe we're victors in Christ. Yeah. So we spend our lives... Right. So even celebrating though, that triumph. Yeah, even though our lives are full of strife, um, the joyful music of God. Again, the, okay, the metaphors are kind of hard to parse, but... But to live is Christ and to die is yeah, gain for yeah, us. Yeah. They're, they're, the, the, the metaphors are such that you could kind of easily put some things in there. Um, although, again, what exactly... You know, we don't know, but... You want to talk about sunward? Yeah, sunward is an interesting line. In the original, it was S-U-N, sunward. And I think presumably just to tie with all of the sun, light, joy, plant metaphors that were going on in the song. But the passion people changed it to sunward, which uh, I don't see a problem with that necessarily. Joyful music lifts us toward... Christ, I guess, is is what is being said here, which, you know, God's Spirit uh, does point us to Christ. That's sort of his, his job in many respects. And so if we're singing in God's Spirit and rejoicing in God's Spirit, and God's Spirit is moving, it would naturally point us or lift us sunward. Mm-hmm. So that seems perfectly reasonable to me. I wondered if the uh, the original S U N word was. Uh, it's obviously not pointing us to the center of our solar system, right? It's yeah, lift, lifting right. us toward heaven, right? Yeah. But that's also what plants do, and I wonder if this is pointing us back to the flowers opening to the sun above. Yeah, um, yeah, could ver- I, I think it is. Yeah, I think the original. That's what it was doing. Yeah, here's the original. By the way, the original uh, last couple of stanzas, which you can see similarities but there are some differences always giving and forgiving ever blessing ever blessed wellspring of the joy of living ocean depth of happy rest loving father christ our brother let your light upon us shine teach us how to love each other lift us to the joy divine so you can see lots of little words and concepts that are in there that have kind of been brought into this new version and switched around a little bit. In some cases, maybe not not really improvements and maybe have obfuscated certain things. But certainly some very good scriptural elements that would oh, be helpful, yeah. right? God is our Father, yep. and Christ being our brother, yep. now that we have been adopted as sons. Yep. Very good. Yeah, that, that good stuff. Definitely good stuff. But again, just yeah. those are in the original. Yes, they they're yes. missing in the new one. So just worth noting. Go ahead. This whole this whole series might be called 
important omissions or something like that. <laughs> yeah, right. Why, why did you choose to take what you did take, and why did you choose not to take what you right. chose not to take? I suspect that as we look at more of these hymns, we'll probably find that very little is improved by adding, and in most cases doesn't help. But, you know, we could be wrong. In fact, I, I'm thinking of some hymns we will do, and there may be some improvements Definitely. that have been added. Definitely. Yeah. So to bring us to a close here, Colin, what would you like to say in summary after having looked at every verse of this song? Yeah, I'd like to focus in summary on just the comparison between the original and the new, and we've already touched upon this. I just think the new version of this, there's some problems with the old version in that you've got all these, this you've got this metaphor running through, which it's a pretty metaphor and it's a kind of inspiring metaphor, but it's not always tethered, although the original tethers it better. And in the new one, some of those strings that connect it, that connect the metaphor to its meaning, to their meanings, excuse me, because they're metaphors, uh, are just not as strong or in some cases absent. So it's, you know, the imagery is pretty nice and it, it's inspiring and in some places really, really works. But in other places, it it just lacks substance or is ambiguous, never to the point I think of being erroneous. Like this song, I didn't see anything in this that just where the metaphor really wrecks something. So like the contrast would be a song that we did at the very beginning of the podcast called Great Are You Lord, and they were using this metaphor of hearts. But in trying to do that, they made a real error and they said, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. Well, God definitely doesn't do that. Like that's wrong. But nowhere in this song did I really see a metaphor that I thought led us to a dangerous place. It's just that it wasn't clear exactly where it was leading us. It was leading us in the general direction of, of good scriptural things, but it was kind of fuzzy. I agreed with your assertion that it lacks in substance, both the original and in this newer version. The newer version more glaringly so than the mm -hmm. original Okay, call me out if I'm out of line here, but I, I'm, I'm kind of criticizing it for what it doesn't have. It doesn't explain how it is the case that Christ is our brother or that God is now our Heavenly Father. Yeah. There's no explicit link of all this nature to God as its creator. Yeah. It just, they, they kind of declare it in, yeah. a, in a general sense. Um, there's no mention of the incarnation or the work of Christ. Holy Spirit seems to be absent. And my last gripe is that it just smacks of inevitable human progress, mm. which I don't think is a reasonable belief to hold. And it doesn't assert that. Let me just say, it doesn't assert that human progress is inevitable, but it, it just seems to hint at it. And that uh, just gives me pause. Yeah, interesting. This was written in some of the last gasps, gasps of Wiggishness, so which is which is a theory of this kind of inevitable progress that, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. So, Colin, what would you give this song out of five? I gave this song two out of five deep breaths. Yeah, because in the recording, so I've picked occasionally noticed little production geeky things. Whoever was mixing the actual recorded version of this song uh, did, or maybe it was a live version that was 
um, then put into an uh, onto a CD or an album or whatever. But whoever did it did not put a gate on the breathing. So, and sometimes you do that on purpose to give a song kind of an intimate effect. But this was just an omission, and they're just these obvious loud <gasps> right before the guy sings, and it just was distracting to me. You are spinning. You are seen. Very interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I, I will say I'm kind of glad to hear you give it a two out of five because I was worried I was just going to be the stick in the mud that hated it and I was going to – or didn't hate it, sorry. No. I was thinking I was going to be a stick in the mud who was just griping all the time and didn't particularly like it. So no. that's comforting. So I take it then that your rating must be close to that too, then two out of five something. I give it a two out of five high school musicals because before this song – the, that would have been the one context where I would expect spinning and singing in the same place. <laughs> Good. Makes sense. Well, we appreciate your listenership, and we just like to remind you we uh, do this totally for free. We are volunteers hoping to serve and bless the church in a kind of way, and we would appreciate you sharing our podcast with your friends of all age brackets and... In all places. Uh, check us out at Anchor FM slash The Worship Review and consider leaving us a small gift. Take care. You've been listening to The Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at Anchor FM slash The Worship Review and patreon.com slash The Worship Review. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. so weird <laughs> I don't know, Tyler. i've been asking myself that as long as i've known you <laughs>